0: Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. This morning, as we dig into part three, I want to talk about uh, contrasts because life is uh, a life of contrasts. And uh, as it would be true for any group, it would be here of this group this morning. That uh, some of us probably come here this morning and we've had a fantastic week. So life is good. But in the same way, there'd be people that have come here this morning and you've had a lousy week. Uh, there would be people uh, this week that have had answers to prayer and we praise God for that. But there would be people this week who have been praying for stuff and there hasn't been a breakthrough. So... Uh, Solomon talks about contrasts, and the reality is that that life is sometimes full of joy, but then life is sometimes filled with a little bit of pain and a little bit of frustration. Uh, It's not all, you know, roses and and beautiful sunrises. Uh, Sometimes we've got to walk through dark times. And and so Solomon, in uh, Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, he says this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them up a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. These, in fact, are probably the best known verses out of Ecclesiastes. And who was it? Was it Peter, Paul and Mary had a hit out of this this passage? Uh, So a lot of people are really familiar with it. Now remember, this is Solomon writing as an older man who in his younger years walked very closely with God, but he's disobeyed God and he now writes Ecclesiastes from a humanistic perspective. And from that perspective, as I said, life under the sun uh, seems pretty meaningless. Uh, Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And here in chapter 3... He brings these set of contrasts of good things and not so good things. They're kind of opposites. But he's saying these are the things that make up our human experience. And there's two ways that we can look at these verses. The first way we can look at these verses is simply an observation of life. And that's perhaps the more the perspective that Solomon is writing from. He's saying, here is my observation of life, my observation of life just as it appears to be. And to borrow from an Australian colloquialism, and I will contextualise it for our Christian audience, I think you could summarise it by saying, stuff happens. <laughs> stuff happens. And in life, stuff happens. And this is what he's kind of saying with these 14 sets of contrasts. Sometimes there's good, sometimes there's bad. And as you look at life, sometimes stuff just happens. Life seems to be this cycle of repetitive, almost predictable things. And we've got no control over it. It's just like, uh, you know, we we think we're having a win, then we have a loss, we have a win, we have a loss. And it's just this cycle of stuff. And and you, you kind of sense the, 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 the frustration of this monotony. He says this in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 1 and 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, returns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And again, he's just describing life, just life as you observe it. And he's saying it's repetitious, it's predictable, it's this cycle, it's this Circle of life that goes round and round and round and round and round. He says this in Ecclesiastes three and fifteen. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. There's nothing new. In uh, in chapter five and verse fifteen, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. As a man comes, so he departs, and what does he gain since he toils for the wind? Chapter 6 and 10, whatever exists has already been named and what man is has been known. And we could go on and on. There are so many similar kinds of verses through this book. And he's got this, paints this picture of tedious repetition. It's this sense of hopelessness and helplessness about it all. So the first way to look at these 14 sets of contrasts that he gives us in our key text this morning is to say, well, stuff happens. That's just the stuff of life. It is just purely an observation of how life seems to play out. But the other way that I think we can look at these verses is to understand them as an explanation of life. Uh, An explanation of life. What do I mean by that? I think it's really helpful Uh, particularly if you're a Christian here this morning, as we walk this faith journey trying to connect with God in the midst of human brokenness and failings, I think it's helpful to see that these contrasts actually help explain life from God's perspective. And God would say, I'm sure, that, guys, life is full of contrasts. There is a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. There are times where you'll have the good stuff, there are times where you'll have the bad stuff, that we would rejoice in the good stuff, and that we would grow and learn in and through the difficult stuff. Solomon wrote these words in chapter 9 and 11, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. Well, that doesn't really sound like a faith statement, except Jesus seems to echo that same sentiment in Matthew 5 and 45. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So there again, Jesus is actually employing a, a, a similar framework where he presents these contrasts. He talks about rain falling on the righteous and the, the unrighteous, the evil and the good, the sun and the rain, the good and the bad. And here's the thing I, I want to encourage us this morning. I hope one of the things that we uh, love about what we have here at Life Church is that we try to keep this faith thing really real. Uh, I, I hope that we understand it, that we're in this together, that we, we, we're we very realistic about the stuff of life, but we are incredibly, incredibly dialed into God and and, and how God works in and through the stuff of life. And it's interesting because we, we can at times, I'm not saying we, I'm saying the church in general, uh, can at times, I think, be found, certainly in certain quarters, of promoting a false gospel. And let me say, I will never ever promote the fact that if you come to Jesus, all your troubles will be over. In fact, Jesus said this in John 16 and 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he, Jesus himself affirms that there will be trials in life. He doesn't say, I've overcome the world so that you won't have trouble. He says, when you face trouble, take heart, I'm bigger than this. I am your confidence. I am your source of strength to bear up under this. And now here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon gives us a set of contrasts. He gives us this series of negative and positive things For which he says there is a time and a season. Let's first of all just read the positives. There's a time to be born, a time to plant, a time to heal, a time to build, a time to laugh, a time to dance, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to search, a time to keep, a time to mend, a time to speak, a time to love, a time for peace. They're great words, but he offsets every single one of those with the opposite, with the negative. A time to die, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to tear down, a time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to scatter stones, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to give up, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to be silent, a time to hate, a time for war. Now, can I say it is human nature to want to embrace the positives, and rightly we do. To a certain point, there is a whole lifestyle uh, around what I'm talking about this morning uh, known as positive thinking. We, we, We all understand that. But in its extreme, positive thinking is about getting a hold of the good things and thinking about them and affirming them and talking about them. Now, on the surface, it sounds like a good thing. Uh, as I was just searching around the internet uh, under positive thinking, I found a very helpful website called Success Consciousness. Uh, Let me read a quote. Always use only positive words while thinking and while talking. Use such words as I can, I am able, it is possible, it can be done. Try to disregard and ignore negative thoughts. Before starting with any plan or action, visualize clearly in your mind a successful outcome. If you visualize with concentration and faith, you will be amazed at the results. Minimize the time you listen to the news and read the papers. There's an interesting, uh, now that sounds good on the surface, but I think why he's saying that is because he doesn't want you to be aware that there's ugly stuff in the world as good stuff. Now, again, it's good to be positive people. Here's a good one from the same website. Always sit and walk with your back straight. This will strengthen your confidence and your inner strength. Think positively and expect only favorable results in situations, even if your current circumstances are not as you wish them to be. In in time, your mental attitude will affect your life and circumstances and change them accordingly. Now listen, I'm not saying that that's all a load of rubbish. There is some vague wisdom in that thinking positively is good because so often we are trapped to think negatively and get consumed by the negative. Looking and searching for goodness is a good thing. But it bothers me that many of those who promote this whole positive thinking lifestyle are ministers and preachers and Christian leaders and pastors. And what has happened, certainly in recent decades, is this whole concept is taken to a spiritual extreme where they attach way, way, way too much spiritual significance to it and they actually make a doctrine out of it. And uh, out of that movement comes uh, what we know as the word of faith movement. Uh, you may have heard of that. The word of faith movement is, uh, it's positive thinking on steroids. So it is the belief that a person will receive whatever they confess. And they encourage only positive confession. And you only talk about and you only verbalize good things. If you verbalize bad things, you will actually create it and bring it into being. And in its extreme, this teaching has brought about some really peculiar uh, practices. Uh, Just one example. Uh, I often have the great privilege of marrying uh, young couples. Uh, And... I usually include, uh, at some point in the service, uh, words like this. Um, I take you to have and hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. Here's the thing. It is often in a word of faith uh, wedding that they will take those words... And remove all the negatives. And so the vows become this. I take you to have and hold from this day forward for better, for richer in health, to love and cherish from this day forward. Well, that would be wonderful if it was true, wouldn't it? Pardon me for saying this, but what planet are these people on? Friends, marriage, it is about laughter. But it's also about weeping together and doing the hard yards together I pray that in your marriage you will have a lot more laughter but you will weep together from time to time and for those of us who have been married for any length of time sometimes those tough times are the closest times you share amen It's about experiencing the great joys together but experiencing the deep pain together. There are mountains to climb, there are valleys to go through, there is light and dark. I would suggest one of the reasons that so many people give up on marriage today is because they only want the high times and the good times and they watch a Hollywood movie and think that's what love is all about, that's what it's supposed to look like. We want the better, the richer, the health, and it seems we're unwilling to persevere through the hard times. But let me say, when we do persevere, we actually become better people and stronger people and deeper people. I I, I don't know how many times over the last few decades I've heard people say this. You know, I'm really angry at God because of what's going on in my life right now. I'm really angry at God. And what they do is that they are angry for all the things that aren't going the way that they think they should go in their life. And so, God, I'm angry at you because stuff isn't working out like I expected it would. And forgive me for saying this. No, don't forgive me. They're acting like spoiled children. They've created a certain expectation, and it's a wrong expectation, about the things that they think they would like for their life, And they're seldom realistic expectations. But then they impose that false expectation upon God. And then they blame him when he doesn't live up to whatever fantasy it is that they think that God should bring into my life. Friends, the Bible never ever promises a life in Christ that is this constant 24-7 floating around on a cloud nine type of euphoria. What the Bible does promise is a life that involves pain as well as joy. You know, we sang, a, and I was looking up the words earlier because I knew I'd forget them when I got up here. But we, uh, we sang this song earlier, and I absolutely love it. And I thought, how cool in the context of the message today. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness, I'll dance. In the shadows, I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That is really cool. You know, from time to time, we get songs in Christendom, and you kind of go, what's with that? Uh, and, you know, th- there are times where we kind of go, we're not doing that song. And and I understand it's poetry. I understand, you know, there is poetic license. 20 years ago, there was a really, really popular uh chorus in church I think we've probably sung it I'm, I, I can remember singing it. and look it's okay but it's probably a bit of a stretch in the context of the message today I'm trading my sorrows I'm trading my shame I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord I'm trading my sickness I'm trading my pain I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord and we say yes Lord yes Lord yes yes Lord yes Lord yes Lord yes yes Lord amen who remembers that Who remembers singing it incredibly and raising your hands and praising God? Hey, uh, look, I get it. Uh, I kind of understand the sentiment. The bridge kind of redeems it a little bit. Uh, But there's a couple of things wrong with it. First of all, it seems to suggest that the things that are mentioned here are uh, are actually obstacles to God's joy being evident in your life that if I have any of these things in my life, it's going to prevent me from experiencing God's joy. I love 1 Peter 1 and 6. It says this, Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's talking about being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He's talking about experiencing joy not only in the midst of grief and suffering and trials, he's talking about a joy that is actually a result Of grief and suffering and trials. Now that messes with your head. The song says, I'm trading my sorrows. Isaiah 53 and 3, speaking of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Interesting. I'm trading my sorrows. Jesus was called a man of of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Um, guys, don't try to be more like Jesus than Jesus was. The song says, I'm trading my sickness. Again, I understand the sentiment. But Paul wrote to the Galatian church in Galatians 4 and 13, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Whatever illness it was that Paul had when he arrived in Galatia, it wasn't a common cold because he says my illness was a trial to the people. And yet he says it's because of this illness, because of this sickness that I preached the gospel amongst you. Friends, the church in Galatia exists because of Paul's illness. I'm glad Paul didn't trade that. You see, there are uh, uh, sometimes a wrong thinking that can creep in that says, you know what, all I need to do is muster up enough faith and God will rid me of all my trials and my pain and my suffering. If I just believe God enough, it'll all go. And when it doesn't happen, we get faulty thinking that says, what am I doing wrong? I haven't prayed enough. There's sin in my life. All these kinds of stupid voices of condemnation that don't even begin to reflect the truth and the awesomeness of God who recognizes in life there is suffering. Not only will I help you through it, but I'll do something greater than that. I will redeem it to be a force of good in your life. Now, it's hard to see the good when you're in the middle of the suffering. But how many times do we come out the other end and go, wow, praise God for that. (laughs) Remember, Paul talked about a thorn in his flesh. Whatever the thorn was, Paul actually describes it as a messenger of Satan. He's going, man, I know where this thing came from. 2 Corinthians 12 and 7, To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God, in effect, is saying this to Paul. Paul You want to know my power in your life? You need to understand there's an element of this that would tell you, my power is not made perfect in a man who is strong, who has it all together. My power is made perfect in weakness. I have a vested interest in your weakness, Paul. And it's interesting, Paul then goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. That makes me smile because at the start of this passage... Paul is complaining to God about his weaknesses, but then a few verses later, he's boasting about his weaknesses. There's a change of thought for you right there. He says, "Now, I, not only that, I'm going to actually boast about these things so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Not because he's some kind of masochist, but he's saying, listen, I'm realizing that when I'm re- weak, then God is strong. When I have nothing, I realize that all I need is Christ's strength within me. Friends, if we live with the idea that the Christian life is about getting rid of all my problems and my weaknesses and my sufferings and hardships and persecutions, you will have a Christianity that's all about you. And you will have a Christianity that will be devoid of God's miracle working power teaching you the greatest lessons of life, which aren't on the high points but in the low valleys. Can I hear an amen? Those of us who have been Christians any length of time would testify to that. The most important times of spiritual growth has been in the tough stuff, not in the highs. Because the key to this is, is the reverse of often what we're looking for. What we're looking for is God to get me out of my difficulties. But the key for you and I is to bring God in to the difficulties, so that his presence and his power may be made uh, strong in my weakness, that in my pain, he is my comfort, that in my weakness, he is my strength. And as we wrap this up, and I'll invite the team back. We might do that. Not yes, Lord, yes, Lord. What's the other one that I said? Joy of the Lord is my strength. That'd be a good one to finish with today. Near the end of this book of Ecclesiastes, Paul writes these words: "The words of the wise are like goads; their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherds. They're like goads. Goads, back in the day, uh, are sharp pointed sticks that they used to use, use to prod and to uh, to lead a you know um, a yoke of oxen or you know beasts of burden." Uh, and it's it's a it's a, an incredible picture. Now he says these are like goads. Sometimes those goads they can they can be painful, but they give us very firm direction. It's interesting when the apostle Paul, uh, before he uh, had that incredible revelation of the risen Christ on the Damascus Road, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he was the number one enemy of the church. But in Acts 26 and 14, when he met Jesus, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Jesus is saying, Paul, you're kicking against these goads. You're resisting the goads. But don't. This is God hemming you in. This is God bringing you to this point. And here's the lesson, friends, some of us, Right now, we might be in the hardest of times. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, is God, is God using this? Is, is this God hemming me in? Is God using this right now as a goad that will steer me back on track? Because again, we learn more from our hard times than we learn from our good times. That's my experience. And I'm sure for many of us, that's your experience as well. And maybe for some of us this morning we can go well you know what i'm feeling the sting of the goad right now but i won't resist i won't just try and pray it away i'll try to press in a little bit deeper and say god what are you saying right now are you looking for a way out of your problem or are you bringing god into your problem because i'm learning more and more that the goads in life are actually my friends not my enemies Because they guide me and direct me as I respond to God in the midst of some of those struggles and some of those challenges and say, God, what are you showing me? What are you teaching me? How am I growing here? So Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven with these 14 contrasting uh, things. And, And he says, you know, again, two ways to look at this. Just an observation of life, stuff happens or as an explanation of life that says God's all over it. The thumbprint of God is all over it. It's not just chaos, but rather as I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, as we read earlier, as I keep my eyes on him, every circumstance can be redeemed for his glory. Every pain, God can say, I can turn something something around here and make something beautiful out of that. Friends, sometimes the good shepherd will use a goad just to direct that transforms us into something that you and I could never be if we just lived some kind of life of ease and comfort, which is sadly what way too many people are looking for. Now listen carefully as we close because I need to make this point. Do not go from here this morning thinking that i have in any way suggested that god does not intervene in the circumstances of life there would be a hundred or more testimonies in this room to say my god is a miracle working god and he delivered me he healed me he directed me so please 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 do not think that that is the point of this message because it's not the point is this we've got to grow up If we saw every difficult circumstance in life as an attack from the devil, that God has absolutely no purpose in this, I'll just pray it away, then we will become incredibly shallow and disillusioned people and we will end up very confused and bitter. But again, if we trust our wonderful, loving, heavenly Father that He can redeem every circumstance in life to bring about growth and change in us and make His kingdom richer and bigger... I think Paul would say, and we should echo these words, I will rejoice in my weaknesses because in these areas I learn to discover the strength of God and we grow. And that means that you can go from here this morning, you can leave this place and whatever difficulty you might face, you can say, Lord, I thank you that in this difficulty I can discover your strength as I look to you and as I trust you in the midst of this thing. Friends, can I encourage you to enjoy the good times? Praise God, let us us be people who rejoice together in the wins that we have. But don't resist the bad times. And please don't go around condemning somebody because they're going through a bad time. Just love them and say, I'm gonna walk with you and let's together work out what God is saying here. Amen. Friends, it's actually when we bring God into every circumstance. Not resist and try and pray the circumstance away, but when we invite him in that we begin to find the way out and learn great lessons on the way. Let's pray.